Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone. So, like, it's always, you know, the evening service for me, just the, the afternoon coming to church, it's rustig, and it's quiet, and it's nice, and it's, then the service starts, and it's a bit more intimate and comfortable, you know, it's almost like a small group sense when I pull a couple of chairs around and ask a couple of questions, but we'll do that in any case, but it's interesting for me to see after COVID how we've adapted, how some of us have entered into the world, and we've become come to function a little bit normal again, but then there's few of us that still, you know, social distancing. It's here on the left-hand side of the church, still keeping some space, still keeping some distance, but the right-hand side of the church, man. But just for interesting sake, who on this side is, is extroverted? I just want to see. Extroverte? Okay. Ja, Jurgens, hou jokkie is in die kerk. En ek bedoel nie in die skoolsal, ek bedoel die sit tussen Godse mense, my maat. And this side, any extroverts? Twee kies, okay. And the half a one and a half a one. Okay, see what happens. So, so the, the introverts came and sat first. And you spaced out quite nicely. And then the extroverts just came in, whoop, whoop. They're in between you guys, left no space, because that's what they do. Um, but before I begin, let me just quickly shift the setting here, otherwise I'm going to have to start it up again. Low battery mode, we've all been there. Okay, great. So, enough social experiments. Let's dive into tonight's sermon. We're going to continue with our sermon series on Colossians. And we're going to look at Colossians 1, verse 24 to 27. Christ in us. Christ in us. I just want to ask us, even before we start, who've heard that phrase before, or that verse before? Colossians 1, 27. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What does that mean? An interesting one. Because, unfortunately, you know, some of those, we have, we have scriptures that kind of seem a bit more, you know, if you just leave it on your own, it's a bit like something mystic almost a mysterious kind of it sounds nice and it's like stuff you want to post on facebook and maybe print on a shirt and whatever but the problem with those verses many times is that they get used so often out of context that we don't actually stop and pause and what does that mean what does that actually mean and also because it's so familiar that when we actually get it and we read through it in its context we, oh yeah that's that nice verse and then we just go on again what does that mean what is it supposed to do when we understand that? Um, so we're going to look at that tonight. But before I do, let me just pray for us. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And thank you, Father, for the people that we are surrounded with. Serving you, Father. Loving one another, Father, as we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for your grace. Tonight, Lord, we just come and proclaim for this. We've just seen again, Lord, through this book, Lord, that we want to be faithful, Lord, to the words of Scripture. 
But at the same time, Lord, we are dependent upon you, Holy Spirit, to come and reveal, Lord. Specifically in our culture that we're living in, Lord, a Christian culture, we've heard things so many times. But we pray, Lord, for you to come and bring a revelation, Father, and to come and shift hearts tonight. We are dependent upon you, Lord. And thank you for your word, Father, and thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Father, for your perfect will. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect example. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. In Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, Colossians 1, 24-27, Christ in us. And just to recap, for those of us who haven't been here, the last two sermons, maybe not that, you know, yeah, you have a limited space, so you don't always remember everything. Just to quickly recap, it's important for us to understand that in light of the context. We looked at verse 1-14 to 14 the first week, life shaped by the gospel. And we saw that as Paul is writing to this church, that there's a truth that when we truly hear and understand the true gospel, it shapes our lives. Immediately. It always does that. He says, all over the world it's bearing fruit and increasing. It does so among you since the day you've heard of it. When you truly understood, heard and understood the grace of God and truth. When we truly believe the true gospel, it shapes our lives. It can be no other way. It does that immediately and it continues to do that. It bears fruit and it increases. Just the continuous things. Always does this. And it continues to do this. And we asked ourselves, okay, but what is it that the gospel shapes in our lives? So what is it that it produces? And we saw that Paul writes in his sense, we give thanks to God for you since the day we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all of the saints, and your hope. According to the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. This you've heard in the gospel, the word of truth. Faith, hope, and love. It's what the gospel produces. And like we said, through the book it gets a little bit more meat to it. What these three words actually mean. How they actually look. But it produces that. And it does so continuously. And then Paul says, and because this happened, we are praying for you guys so that God may reveal all of his will to you guys. And that you might be full of wisdom and understanding that comes through the Spirit. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Spirit needs to give this. Some people hear and some understand. Why? Because the Spirit makes it real to them. We've been given the Spirit of God that we might freely know the things given us by God. And then he says, when you understand this, when you go into a deeper revelation of who God is and what God has done, then it again continues to shape our lives so that we might live a life fully pleasing unto Him. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. The cycle just continues. As we learn more about who God is and what He's done, it shapes our lives. And because it shapes our lives, we obey. And because we obey, we understand to a greater measure who God is. And that again shapes our lives. And this process of grace just continues. And one of the interesting questions that we then have to ask ourselves, we spoke a little bit about this at our small group this week, is if scripture says that it shapes our lives immediately and it continues to do so, for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, how has your life changed and why? Interesting question. Has it changed? It's supposed to. If you truly believe the true gospel and hold fast to it, it's continuously supposed to shape our lives. For those of us who maybe just came to salvation, we're newly saved. How has our lives been changed? And why? What understanding about who God is and about the gospel shaped and brought about that change? 
What happened? And for some of us, maybe in the beginning, when we think about when we just got saved, we proclaimed the gospel of brothers and sisters, don't. You better stop, you better don't do that. And we understood something about salvation, but not the grace of God. We didn't comprehend that. We didn't fully understand who God is and fully understand the message of the gospel so clearly. So we proclaimed that message, brothers and sisters, don't. Munir but maybe now we understand it a little bit better and we're not continuously trying to do behavior modification, but we want to bring people closer to God because we know that's where the change happens. Not just so that we can do different things, but that so we can desire differently because that's what the gospel does. transforms all of us. But have we grown? Has things changed? Can we actually recognize a greater revelation of who Jesus is? greater revelation of what the gospel actually means. Maybe for some of us we've seen how it just transforms all areas of life. In the beginning we weren't conscious of the fact that the gospel influences every aspect of life. We kind of limited it to certain areas, but now we see all the more how it affects every single area and how we need the gospel in every single area. As we've started to grow. And like we said, we asked the question, are we people that are full of hope, faith, and love? Are you, when you walk past the mirror and you look in it, it's like, that's a hopeful guy. He has heard some good news. Was it not the case? And then we said, as this process continues, then we grow in what? How does a Christian look that's busy maturing? Joy and thanksgiving. Joy and thanksgiving. Like the early church, through severe persecution, being beaten and stoned and shipwrecked for the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They thank God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced. Full of joy, full of thanksgiving. Oh, we're growing bitter and critical. This morning I mixed the two words up. Critter. Don't become a critter. Critical and bitter. You don't want to do that. But is it true we have to examine that? Because yes, the world is falling apart. And if we read our Bibles, it's going to do so all the more. So if all of that's happening and the people around us, Scripture says the reason why you're critical and bitter isn't the circumstances around you. It's our understanding of who Jesus is. It's our understanding of the gospel. If that's, if that's there, the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how people treat you. We can see that example in Scripture of those who truly followed God. Something shifts. Is that true of us? And then Maria so beautifully shared the supremacy of Jesus. Beautiful. About who Jesus is. He wasn't born somewhere. He wasn't created somewhere. He's the one through whom and by whom everything exists. And for whom. He's the head of everything. He's before everyone. He's the king of kings and the name above every name. The one that created Everything. That Jesus died for us. That Jesus created us. And it answers the questions of why am I here and who am I? Identity. I belong to the one who created me. And before I do anything, I don't have to do any knee tricks or backflips for my life to have meaning. Because I was created by God. That gives meaning to life before I do anything. And then we stop trying to live for the creation and for the creation to define us, but for the creator who made us to define us. 
And obviously because he gave me the purpose, he gave me the task, that gives meaning to it. Doesn't matter what people say. Many, many times we come into church and, Lord, we want one of those big callings, huh? Those grand ones. With the tricks and the lights and all of that. Man, it must be impressive. And God says, it doesn't matter how small a task I give you, it's meaningful and worthy because I am the one that gave that. That's what gives it meaning. Back in the garden with Adam and Eve, when everything is as it should be, nobody lacking anything, nobody living for the approval of people, what jobs did Adam and Eve have? They were gardeners. And I've never heard someone say, man, if I can just be a gardener, my life would be full. If people, I just, if people drove past and they saw me in my overall with my, what do you call that, hark in English. What is hark in English? A rake. But not that type of rake. You know what I'm saying? A rake met me a rake. And they used to know. But they understood it's not what I do. It's the one that gave me the thing to do that determines the meaning of it. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's where we find our worth. Free from the approval of people. Free from the opinion of people. Not living for that. Why? Because I wasn't made by them. I wasn't made for them. I was made by Jesus. I was made for Jesus. And he's the one that holds all things together. Isn't that beautiful? And in light of that to continue with our text tonight, and also in light of how Maria so beautifully shared the false teachings that's going on in this church and why the book was written. But basically a misconception about who Jesus is and a misconception of the gospel. Baseline that who Jesus is and what he has done isn't enough. He's not fully God. He was born somewhere, maybe some attributes of God, but not fully God. The gospel also, not just, just the gospel, maybe isn't enough. We, we need this higher knowledge. Maybe some feast and some good works thrown in there. Some abstinence, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. The rest of chapter 2 explains to us. But the person and works of Christ, not sufficient. And the book says it differently. So let's, with that in mind, read the four verses that we're going to go through tonight. Colossians 1, verse 24 to 27. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Small but impactful passage of scripture. And again, when we stand still and ask a couple of questions, very confrontational, once again. I mean, it starts off with the passage saying that Paul says he rejoices in his suffering for the sake of the church. And already there we're like, either he's crazy or he understands something that I don't. I mean, I understand when someone goes through suffering specifically for someone else. Now we have to just acknowledge this for a moment that all of the suffering, all of the trials, all of the tribulations that Paul is going through is for the sake of the church, for Jesus and his people. If he wanted to apply self-preservance to life, he would not have gone through all of this. If he would have lived for himself, this would not be the case. 
He had the option. But all of his sufferings, all of his affliction, for the sake of the church. And he says, I rejoice in that. And we can kind of understand, you know, I endure in that. I persisting in it. I'm not enjoying it at all. I'm not rejoicing, but I know it's going to be over soon. We're kind of something like that, but rejoicing in suffering for the sake of the church is a little bit something different. So already there, it gets a little bit confrontational. If I don't feel that way, then maybe I, I'm not living for the same reason or I don't understand something that he understands. But also when we stand still at this passage of scripture, it produces a security in the Christian life that is just beyond comparison. Such a steadfastness, if we understand what this means. If we understand what's going on here. It all starts with this last verse here. If we understand that, it's busy happening here. It says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. And that word mystery doesn't mean that it's this difficult super knowledge high to attain and nobody understood it because they didn't live long enough and they couldn't fast long enough and you know, read enough books to comprehend this thing. It just means covered, hidden. It's a simple truth. Not difficult to understand. But it was hidden and God is now revealing this to his saints. But now revealed to his saints, to them. Who's the them? God's people. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if we read that, and if we look at that, and it doesn't move something in us, why they don't know who Jesus is, or we don't comprehend the gospel, if that doesn't shift something, we don't understand what it's busy saying. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the same Jesus that Maria spoke about last week. The image of the invisible God. The rulers of everything. The one that created everything. Almighty God, that Jesus in us. The hope of glory. How do we comprehend that? And to the false teachers at Colossae, they were like, but is, is that it? Is that it? That's, that's the mystery. That's what was his, and that was generations and generations, thousands of people, Abraham, David, all of the prophets, they didn't knew this. This is the great mystery. Just Jesus. That's not enough. Let's throw some higher knowledge in there. We need, we need something more than that to maybe boasting. We, me smarter than that. It can't be just this. How about some good works from outside? Some feasts, some festivals, some abstinence. It cannot be simply just Jesus. Because we don't understand who Jesus is. We don't understand the gospel. Now for some of us, this reveals the motives of our heart. It would be like Luke 15, the prodigal son. And we see he goes home to the father and the father embraces him and gives him the ring, the robe, the sandals, slaughters the fattened calf, all these nice things. And we're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We'll also go. But for us, it would have been okay if a servant came out and it was not the father. And says, you know what, the father is busy at the moment, but here's the ring, here's the robe, here's the sandals, here's the fattened calf. And many people would be like, yeah, that's okay, because it's actually what we came for. But if we comprehend the gospel, if we understand who Jesus is, we see, we don't want that. It's okay if we don't have the ring, it's okay if we don't have the robe. 
Put the vacuum cover away. I want the Father. I want to meet Him. I want to be with Him. That's why I came. Christ alone. Just Jesus. That's why I came. That's enough for me. Because I understand who He is. And I understand what He did for me. Other things is add-ons. It's extras. Doesn't matter that much. You know, C.H. Spurgeon says it beautifully. He says, in, in this world, when we don't want to see a doctor, it's a good sign because then we think we are not sick. But in Christianity, when we don't want to see the doctor, it's then when we have to acknowledge that we are really in need of help. But it's a longing for the great physician. It's a longing for Jesus that makes me understand that I'm beginning to heal. I'm beginning to comprehend what is truly meaningful in this life. Christ alone. And you see, this is another one of the summaries of the gospel that we find in this book. There'll be another one in chapter 2. But the first one that we look through to understand that in light of who Jesus is. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Like we read in verse 13. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. We were citizens of the kingdom of darkness. We did and thought and desired as one of them in every aspect of life. In desperate need of help. And He delivered us. Not He and us. Not He and some high knowledge. Not He and some good works. He alone delivered us and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. And Maria so beautifully shared as well in verse 21 to 23. And we have to comprehend this. We were alienated, for freedoms is what the Afrikaans will say. We were alienated from God, hostile in mind. We were hostile towards God. Even when we did the right things, it was for the wrong reasons. We have to comprehend this in every area of life. That's what scripture says. Engaged in evil deed, yet he reconciled us in his body of flesh. So that he can present us holy and blameless without spot before him. If we continue. And hold fast to the hope of the gospel. And here again, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in all three aspects, it reveals the seriousness of the problem that we have. And the greatness of the salvation of God. And we have to understand that. If we don't understand the seriousness, if we don't understand that we were citizens of the kingdoms of darkness, if we don't understand that we were hostile towards God and engaged in evil deeds, then we still are. That's what scripture says. Difficult for us to comprehend. Difficult for us to comprehend. And yes, well, Christ in you the hope of glory. Why? Because it takes nothing less than God himself in us so that we can be what we are supposed to be. Nothing less than that. That Jesus that verse 15 to 23 spoke about. Him in us. That's what we need to be. We are supposed to be. Because we don't have it within ourselves. And we need to understand this. And again, when we understand this, what should happen? What should transform in us? What should it shape in us? The same thing that chapter 1 spoke about. Faith, hope, love. When we understand this, it increases faith, hope and love. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And according to chapter 1, faith and the love for the saints is based upon this hope. So let's look at it. If we understand this, how should it produce this? Let's first look at hope, and then we look at faith and love. 
Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. It says, In him you also, in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then it goes on. And from the day we've heard of your faith in Jesus, your love for the saints, you've not stopped to thank God, asking that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may receive all spiritual wisdom and insight to understand what the hope is to what you have been called. But look at this beautiful verse here. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Christ in us through the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit in us assures us that Jesus Christ will be coming back for us. That's why Paul asked the people in, in Acts when he met them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Have you received the Spirit when you believed? Is Christ in you? Because if he isn't, you have no hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like one theologian so beautifully says, for us to understand what this means, but we have received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been given so that we can know that Jesus is coming back for us, a guarantee of our inheritance. If God does not come back for us, it means that he has to give up one member of the Trinity. That's how secure our hope is. God himself in us. To make sure that we will be with him forever. You see, our hope will either be based on our own efforts in making the temple perfect or comfortable, our hope will be based on God, who will make the permanent perfect. The one is not stable at all, continuously shifting, and we will go like this. Our hope will not be fixed at all, or it will be as sure and as steadfast as Jesus on the cross. That's certain, that's secure. That's certain and that's secure. And what are we building and basing our hope? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Isn't that beautiful? And also just to get maybe a little bit practical tonight, from chapter 3 it gets very practical, but to throw a little something practical in there, just a question to consider. How would someone live that has Christ inside of them? Isn't that something to think about? How would someone live that hosts the presence of God himself? I mean, there's some of us, there's some of the things that we do, we would never even think about mentioning doing that if a person stood next to us. And this is saying that not, God is not next to you, he's not looking, he's in you. But our lives look a little bit different. But the things that we do be a little bit different. Like I say, you know, that's one of the benefits of Christian counseling. When married people have issues, just the fact that someone else is there, it makes it a little bit harder to shout at one another because someone's present. It's a bit more uncomfortable. This is God in us. And as Marie also said, through whom and by whom we live, we are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. We are not the masters of our faith or the captains of our soul. We belong to God and he will come back for us one day. 
When you borrowed someone's car, you lived in someone's house and they're on their way back, what do you do? You clean up. You make sure everything's in their place. Because the owner is coming back. Scripture says in the book of 1 John, whoever hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Because Christ is coming back and I do not belong to myself. It makes me live a little bit different. If you understand that. Amen. And from verse 3 we'll see practically how that looks in every area of life. But we have to consider that. And now the question once again. Are we people full of hope? And is our hope secure? Or is it constantly shifting? And not even in suffering but especially in suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, it's not on the board, you can go and read that at home. It says this temporal suffering, this temporal persecution is preparing for us a weight of glory that cannot be compared. Because we are looking to the things that are unseen and not to the things that are seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal. And the things that are unseen is eternal. Where is our hope at? You see, suffering will show us where our hope truly lies. Difficult times show us where our hope truly lies. And many of us are hopeless in suffering. Why? Because our own agendas and our own kingdoms are busy crumbling. Because my suffering is for the sake of myself, not for the sake of Christ and His church. Man, it's devastating because everything I've tried to build and make here, now it's rattling. But as the book of Philippians says in chapter 1 verse 29, that we were given the privilege not only to believe in the name of Jesus, but also to suffer for the name of Jesus. Verse 28 says, this gives us a surety of our salvation. The fact that we are suffering for the name of Christ. And in that, still remain hopeful. But how sure our hope is. Jesus himself keeping it in heaven one day. Like Jesus says, do not store up for your treasures. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. No, lay up for your treasures where thieves do not break in and steal. Where moth and rust do not destroy. Where it is certain. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Amen. You know, scripture says that as Christians we should be so hopeful that in times of suffering the people around us will be so provoked by it that they will ask us, what's wrong with you? 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. That assumes that people will actually ask you, hey, what's wrong with you? Don't you see what's going on? Why are you so happy? Why are you so hopeful? Why do you know what I don't know? And what's the Christian's answer? Hebrews 6.19 Also a well-known verse posted on anything that you can find. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's not a nice saying. This means that Jesus Christ himself in me is the hope of glory. I do not have to carry myself home. But as sure as God himself is in me, he will do it. Isn't that beautiful? How secure our hope is, if you understand what this scripture means. And then faith. Hope is in what Jesus will do. Faith is in what Jesus has done. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Man, to the person that understands the seriousness of sin in the human heart, how beautiful a message that is. Not as a result of works. It's not yourself, said Afrikaans, and it's not in yourself. How beautiful this is. When we understand the problem of sin, it is a gift of God. Jesus Christ himself, that Jesus who created everything, that Jesus who is Lord of all, he's the one that died. It cannot be any more certain than that. He's the one that started it. He's the one that will finish it. He's the one that's in us now. Isn't that beautiful? He's the one that delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's the one that reconciled us to the Father. Later in chapter 2 we'll see he's the one that defeated the principalities and powers. He's the one that secured our salvation. You see, but for some people that doesn't move anything. Nothing happens because we don't understand the seriousness of sin. And for some, that not only does it not move anything, but it actually provokes some people. It offends some people. Because this does not only imply something about the love of God, but also the condition of the human heart. You see, have you ever thought about that? Why did the Pharisees want to kill Jesus? I mean, someone comes along and says, hey, he's going to offer up his life for people. He's offering salvation to people. Why does that offend someone? That was not the offensive statement. The offensive statement was that you do not have it within yourself. And that provokes a prideful person. How dare you say, I need salvation. And how often we face the same thing. John Jesus goes to the Jews and says, if the sun sets free, we'll be free indeed. And instead of responding out of joy, what do they say? How can you say you'll make us free? We've never been slaves to anyone. And Jesus says, surely you are sons of the devil. Serious statement. You do not realize how enslaved you are. You do not realize how much salvation you need. And if we understand that, how sweet this message is. Not Jesus and us. Jesus in us. If some of us, we are so tired... Because we think that Jesus started the work, we need to continue it. No, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He started it. He will complete it. And He will take us home again. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ and you. Not Christ and some good works. Not Christ and some festivals. Christ alone. Through grace alone. By faith alone. In Christ alone. Isn't this beautiful? And again, this gives such a security. Such a security. But again, to answer the question, what is this supposed to produce in us? If we understand this. We'll take a little bit more of a look at that in the end of chapter 2. Faith and work, salvation. Why would we want to add works? Why would we want to boast in our own works? Just to say tonight that if we want to boast in our own works, then we do not understand our own works, neither the works of Christ. We are misled about both. But Christ alone. But what is this supposed to produce in us? This hope, this faith. The faith is secured, why? Because Christ himself, not Christ and me. Not Christ and good works. Christ alone. Our hope is secured, why? Because Christ alone. Jesus will do that. The God who created everything. That's how secure it is. 
What does that produce in us? A thankfulness and a love and a willingness to serve. Lord, you saved my life. How can I repay you? How can I, out of gratitude, serve you? But how does that look? How does it look like if we want to serve Christ out of gratitude? See, now we understand what Paul was saying in verse 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister. He's saying that the suffering I'm enduring for the church is as if I'm enduring that for Jesus himself. For the church which is his body. Paul understood this. What is the understanding? That it's not just Christ in me, it's Christ in us. You see, we live in this individualistic age when we hear that, we just think about ourselves. Christ in me. And that, yes, should affect about how I live my life, but it's also Christ in you. So that makes me treat you also a little bit differently. And when I serve you, it's as if I'm serving Jesus himself. Paul understood this very, very clearly, because he understood the opposite as well. In Acts 9, when Jesus encountered him in the road to Damascus, what did Jesus say to him? Encounters Paul, and Paul says, Who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. While Paul was busy persecuting the church. I take it that personally. You're persecuting my body, you're persecuting me. When you're serving my body, you are serving me. That's why a love for God and a love for his people is inseparable. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Paul said, of which I became a minister. And a minister doesn't imply cool calling, it simply means servant. That's what the word minister means. Afrikaans, a dienstknecht. Of which I'm, I became a minister, a servant, to serve his body. When we want to show love and appreciation for Jesus, we serve his people. And not only is that serving Jesus out of love, but it's also investing in eternity. What is the one thing in this whole world, the only thing that's eternal? The people in it. It's the only thing. Everything else will burn. Do you know how expensive firewood some people are gathering? For it to simply burn. Very, very expensive firewood. The only thing eternal is the people in it. Saved or unsaved, everyone will live for eternity. Just matters where they're going to live, on which side of eternity. But every single per person is eternal. And where we, we want to invest in eternity, we invest in one another. We do not only invest in our own spiritual growth, but also in the spiritual growth of those around us, so that we can have as much a part of what Jesus is coming back for, and that is his body, the church. Isn't that beautiful? I want to end off for us with Matthew 25, verse 31 to 40. I'm just going to read through it. Don't worry, we're not going to go through another sermon. There's more verses than we started off with. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What a thought that is. 
For, for this reason, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in person. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And the opposite is also true. It goes on to say to those in his left, You saw me thirsty, you saw me hungry, you saw me strange, you saw me in prison, you saw me sick, you didn't visit, you didn't clothe. And then they say, when, Lord? He said, if you didn't do it to the least of these, you also didn't do it to me. Understanding that, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if we understand that, like the first scripture says, it leads us to live a life worthy of God. To live a life worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? It means to live a life as if God is truly in us. That's what it means, to live a life worthy of the gospel. Firstly, it brings immense security. Like, do we understand that? How a weight just falls off of our shoulders. It's not Christ and me. It's Christ in me. He began salvation. And through love, he's busy sanctifying. And he's the one that will come back for us. Like Paul writes in Philippians, the one that began the good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Let go. Put Christ and stop with all of the things. And like this verse also implies, it doesn't say that works saved us but a person that is saved is full of good works why out of gratitude for what jesus has done for what jesus will do but christ in us the hope of glory let's stand tonight pray together Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can come before you tonight, Lord. Just marvel, Father, at those beautiful seven words, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we repent, Father, first of all, Lord, of being so used to, Father, cute Christian sayings. They just move past that, Father. And we repent, Lord, of many times, Lord, acknowledging and living a life, declaring that it's not enough, just Jesus. We many times, Lord, desire the ring, the robe, the sandals, and the fattened calf more. And when that happens, Lord, we have to acknowledge, Father, that we have either never truly understood who you are, and what you've done, Lord, or we've lost sight of it. And tonight, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that it's not a message of trying harder, Lord, but trusting more, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not Christ and. No good works, no festivals, no law. No, uh, do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. Christ alone. And thank you, Lord, that when we see that, Lord, when we realize that, 
We start to live differently because we desire differently, Lord. You did not come to give us a bunch of rules that we actually do not want to follow. But you come to change hearts, Lord. To renew lives. Tonight, if you realize that your hope is not Christ in you, but actually the things of the world around you, just there where you stand, why don't you just lift up your voice to God? And not just, Lord, help me to put my hope in Christ again, but Lord, I repent of putting it in temporal things. I repent, Lord, of relying on my own effort. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Lord. Help me to understand what that means, Lord. Maybe you're standing here tonight and you're so tired. Trying to work hard, hard, hard so that God can approve. It's not the gospel. And also with that, to acknowledge there's a reason we want to add good works to our salvation. Why? Because we have a little bit of bargaining rights then. If I did something, I can say something. That is not the gospel. Through Christ alone. So he can say whatever he wants. And we obey. Why? Because we are thankful. Because it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. If that is, you just lift up your voice to God. And then the greatest miracle of all, maybe if you are here tonight, and you cannot even acknowledge the problem of sin, but part of the kingdom of darkness, alienated from God, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, no, that doesn't sound like me ever. And that's what the word of God says. It's not my idea. It's God's truth. And if you struggle to comprehend that, don't you say, Lord, Come and help me deal with this prideful heart of mine. And help me, Lord, to be honest with myself about the things that I've done, the reasons why I've done them. But if that is you, just lift up your voice to God. Thank you, Lord, that we can proclaim tonight, Lord, how secure our faith, Lord. Why? Because we had nothing to do with it. Christ alone. And we thank you, Lord, for our hope one day, Lord. Because we had nothing to it. Christ alone. And as we look, Father, at the beauty of the cross, Lord, your love for us, Father, what you've done for us, Lord. And as we look ahead, Father, and see what you will do, Oh, that produces a steadfastness now. Surely He is with us now. Christ in us. The hope of glory. And we pray, Lord, that we would overflow, Lord, with thanksgiving and love as we serve those around us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be so full of hope, Father, that as Scripture says, the people around will recognize and they will ask. And may we as a church proclaim Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. He's the one that started it all. He's the one that will finish it all. And even now, He's with me.
And I pray, Lord, that you would come by your Spirit, Lord, and help us, Father, so that this information would turn into revelation. We might truly know and understand, Lord, what this means. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.